The wheel weaves as the wheel wills. I'm Benita. And I'm Tiffany. And welcome to the One Power Channeling Hour, where we talk all things Wheel of Time. Well, here we are again for like the second time in a few days because of Amazon's three episode release. Hello. So extra Amazon. Oh my goodness. We're trying to, we're trying to keep on schedule y'all, but you know, uh, there's a lot going on. Uh, so, uh, uh, we're doing our best. Here we are. Thank you for your patience. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, yeah, so we're going to get into talking about episode two today, which uh, is called Shadows Waiting. Ooh. Did you like that? <laughs> is the actress in the room. <laughs> uh, oh, awesome. uh, yeah, so uh, I think, you know, we're going to do the same thing that we're going to do every week. We're going to recap the episode. We're going to talk about what we think about the episode while we're recapping. It's Benita's turn to recap today. Um, but first, I want to start off with just the uh, same way we did last time. Uh, overall feeling, overall impression before we jump right into it. Okay. I think they really started to hit their stride. Mm. You know, the first episode to me... I mean, obviously, I had to get over my fangirl feelings of like, why isn't this completely true to the books? Um, But also, it just felt like rushed and choppy. And like, you know, they were really packing in a lot. Like, just also like pacing wise, I I had issues with it. But here, here is where we started to, to, to get into a nice rhythm. And I... I really found myself falling in love with this version of Wheel of Time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I got I got really excited this time. What about you? I completely agree. I really like this episode and uh, where we started going with the characters here. Um, you know, we're obviously truncating a lot of their timeline. Things are changing all over the place still, but I think a lot of it works and a lot of it is working to get us through this story in uh, eight seasons, I think is what they're aiming for, which is clearly less than 14 books. Oh, so really? Eight seasons? Yeah. But you know, you know, I was rewatching it today and I was like, just thinking about all the stuff that happens and there's so much that happens. So much. Well, do you mean in this episode or in like the whole book series? the book series you know like where we are right now and like where we have to get to and like all the stuff that happens in between yeah all the people we see I guess I started um feeling that because I was thinking about what they did with the prologue scene and I guess that's a good segue to start us off let's and I hand it over to Benita to uh to recap Okay, so we open on a large camp of white tents. Everything is like very pristinely white. And we see an adorable kid bringing food to this man who we don't know yet, but we'll, we will eventually learn it's Captain Valda. Um, so he's bringing him this very nasty looking morsel of food. Captain Valda pops it into his mouth and blood drips out. It's very dramatic. Apparently, 
it's a whole bird and the brutality of eating a whole bird is like a big turn on for this guy. It's very weird. So he's chatting pleasantly to an Aes Sedai of the yellow Aja who we see is tied at the stake and her hands are cut off. They're just like bleeding bloody stumps. So as he's talking to her, he takes her ring off of her severed hand and adds it to his collection of Aes rings that he wears on his belt like trophies. We see her burn while he sips his wine. And in case we didn't get how evil this dude is, there are bloody fingerprints on the goblet. End of scene. Oh my god. <laughs> like so dramatic. Like the whole thing is so yeah. dramatic. Oh, oh my god. It was it was really funny, like um when you know he's uh I think Mario's reaction after this scene was I've never once eaten something and like wanted it to cut my mouth open and make me bleed to enjoy it. So uh so that was already weird. And um okay, so we we see Valda later, but he's a questioner in this version. Yep. Very different. Very different. So I, I was like, oh, well, maybe what they're doing is combining that character yep. with that crazy questioner character whose name I can't remember. It's something with uh, an A. I never know how to pronounce it. For sure. Um, so that was like part of the thing that kept like, uh, that kind of spun me off thinking like how much we have to get through. Right, <laughs> like, right, right. Well, I think it's smart that they're combining people at this point because, you know, I think like we've both mentioned at some point, like it is such a huge ensemble cast in the books that like you can't keep them straight. Totally. And like, you know, we don't even see Valda really until many books from now. I think I already knew that he had been cast by the time I got to him when I was reading the books. Oh, okay. So like, okay, why do we have this guy so early? So, but you know, same thing. Like we've talked about this totally great to see characters earlier. They are yeah. obviously still living their lives, even if they're not in the book's direct narrative. Yeah. Um, but I was a little bit, you know, it did give me pause for a second where I'm like, well, how are, why, how did they get this eyes to die? under control like why can't she just channel i'm assuming tea or <laughs> i don't know you know oh. but it did give me a question where i'm like oh well it's not like they can like still an eye and eye so how exactly right. are they like getting control of them yeah that's an interesting question i actually didn't even think of that um i just I don't know. I just was like, yeah, okay, whatever. The thing that kept popping up for me though, was like trying to understand how they justify their actions. Because like just on the surface, you look at this and like, he's so evil. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you want to eat something that cuts up the inside of your mouth? You've got bloody fingerprints. Like it's so over the top evil. But in the world, like we see, we see a little bit later, somebody talk about, oh, the white cloaks are right, right? The Aes Sedai are monsters. And so it just, it really got me thinking about cults and got me thinking about religious zealots and like the crazy things people do for what they believe is right. And it spun me off into like, <laughs> just thinking about cults 
but um yeah like okay if 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 this this man who's doing this completely bonkers thing isn't the monster in this world and I said I are then like how do people really see I said I like just how do we justify something that feels so over the top vile you know yeah do you think that do you think that they mean for them to be this evil or are we supposed to understand them a little bit like what like how do you think Rafe and the producers are looking to present Valda. Like, what do you think is their objective with having him be so over the top, like violent? That's a good question. Um, Well, they're, I think they're trying to like layer in a danger for Mm -hmm. the ice to die that's even more like visceral than it Mm -hmm. is. Books. I think in the books they talk about maybe they hang Aes Sedai or something. Yeah. Well, what's well, funny because Valda actually, spoiler, um, is essentially rapes more gays. Right. So he does do like evil stuff. Right. And we know that the questioners are a little questionable, right? Like, like well, you know, throughout Jordan is not very explicit, but uh, explicit about most things right like you don't right. get a lot of like graphic uh descriptions about violence about sex about anything really um but we do know that the questioners that that a lot of the you know white cloak soldiers are even a little skeptical about like the questioners tactics and that they yeah like they're scared they're kind of scared of them too right yeah no that's fair and that they they torture people on the rig that's true yeah and then i guess you know they just are like trying to heighten this uh connection to i said i are witch by burning them right because that's just like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. history we burn witches that's what we've that's what we uh, do that's what we do (laughs) um so i'm guessing that's why they did it but it is like uh it's very explicit, which is a little jarring. He's yeah, like, it's a, it's like a really graphic scene. Like I found it kind of hard to watch. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you're like, and it, and almost like it is a little bit eye rolly because you're just like, okay, blood down the lips, like blood. I know. And like, it's a little cheesy at this point. Yeah, okay. it was a little much. Agreed. Okay, so from this scene, we get our first. Oh, wait, oh, can I, say um, I do want to say that I think it's kind of cool how, um, uh, and I think I I heard somebody else somewhere talking about this too, which is why I kind of watched out for it. How they're like uh, doing these like prologue scenes that are kind of like an like in homage, homage, uh, homage. Thank you. I don't know. <laughs> You know, that like the, each book starts out with a prologue that's not like necessarily connected immediately to the main action. And then like, I feel like we're kind of getting that with oh, the show. Oh, you're right. I love that. I don't know why that made me like so nostalgic for the books. Right? They have prologues. Yeah. 
Yeah. It took me a while to figure that out too. I think it's like, there's a prologue where they, where the boars character is like, you know, at the like meeting of all the dark friends. And then mm-hmm. it just like never comes up again for like five books. And I was just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, so yeah, they're, they're, it's not you know obviously we're going to see this again and it it's important to the the scene that we see later in this episode. But I just thought that was like a, a nice little tie in that they're doing to the books. Yeah, I like that. Also, I think it's interesting that they cut off their hands so that they can't channel. Right, but they don't all need their hands to channel. Well, they're not supposed to anyway. They're not supposed to. So I was like, see, this is why you need to not get used to using all these lame gestures. Right. Whatever. That's probably not going to be a thing in the book. And I understand why they did it because visually, like, we've seen Moraine use her hands. Like, I get it. I get it. But, um, yeah, I definitely was like, but, aha, you shouldn't have to use your hands to channel. So. Right. Exactly. That's why I was like, how come she just doesn't get away? <laughs> Forker okay. tea, you guys. It must be. I don't know. <laughs> it's Forker tea. Always. Always. All right. So we get our first full intro. Ah, It's yes. gorgeous. So it starts out with a thread that is breaking. And then we see all of these golden threads weaving and creating a tapestry. It's gorgeous. The final picture is of the seven Ajas, like women representing each color of each Aja. It is stunning. And so interesting that they are focusing on the Aes Sedai for the intro. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I wonder if it's like, because, you know, the dragon, are they a puppet of the White Tower? The White Tower is controlling this. I wonder if that's why they're choosing it or what? I don't know. I don't know why they chose that either. That's a really interesting question. Yeah, but it really did make me think of like, you know, the weaving of the pattern, you know. Oh, it was beautiful. Yeah, I thought so too. I'm so into it. Very surprised, like you said, very, very surprised that they chose to focus on the Ajas because like that, but okay. I don't know. That's all I have to say about that. Beautiful. I don't understand their choice, but it's gorgeous. And I will watch it every single time. For sure. Yeah. I'm one of those weirdos also that just like does never, like I never skip intros. So. Oh, me neither. Yeah. They set the tone. Yeah, they get you in the mood. I agree. Even if I'm binging. Anyway, I digress. So we're into the show. Our heroes are racing away, followed by Trollocs in hot pursuit. They're running. They're running. We see a slightly different looking Trolloc. <laughs> time. And now it's night and we're at the Terran. They approach the ferry, but the ferryman's son is out. It's cool, though, because Moraine offers him a shit ton of gold and they've got strapping young Tavarin to pull themselves across. Just as the Trollocs approach the water... Oh, wait. Hold on. I messed up my ass. Okay. Oh, yeah. So they're pulling themselves across just as the Trollocs approach the water. Turns out deep water stops Trollocs. So they just, like, mill about watching, and they're, like, very upset about it, and our heroes get away. Now, a horse approaches through the Trollocs. 
We get a close up on hooves because that's how we love to start shots. And we pan up to a fade. Master Hightower, who's the fairy guy, wants to go back across because his son is on his way and he wants to save him. Moraine says, sorry, dude, I can't let you go back because it'll give Trollocs a way to cross. So Lan cuts the line. Moraine starts a whirlpool to sink the fairy. Master Hightower, though, is like, you know what? The white cloaks are right. Aes Sedai are monsters. Moraine, you're a monster. And he jumps in the water. I have no idea what he's hoping to accomplish, but he jumps in the water to try and get his fairy and he drowns. That's our scene. Yeah. Yeah, this one, uh, I thought, you know, this felt really true to the books to me. Yep. Like, I'm like, that's how I kind of remember that happening. So I'm pretty sure that's how it did. Yeah, I mean, the only, I mean, there was like, a, there were like very minor differences, but like nothing worth noting, really. It was like, he did have Ferryman, there was no sun, but like, whatever, who cares, right? There was a bunch of fog in the books. There wasn't fog in this book, but like, oh my gosh, you guys! How know. dare you not have fog? Yeah, it felt really true, um, and I think it was really cool that we saw a different perspective of how people see Aes Sedai, right? Yeah. Because when we saw how the two rivers folks uh, responded to Marine being an Aes Sedai, it was of awe and respect, and this was, oh you're a monster and we see too that our our heroes our tavern are are really shocked and put off by what she does because i mean this that's cold right like oh your son's coming your son's gonna die anyway let's keep moving yeah yeah it's very shocking for them which i think is um nice to see them shocked by something Mm -hmm. Yeah, not so jaded. <laughs> you know, you get a little worried that they're going to be a little jaded. I don't remember if in the books that guy actually ends up dying or if anybody dies there. Or no, not. Not. Um, So that was interesting, but I, I get that they're trying to heighten the stakes really fast. So yeah. immediately, and uh, right now, you know, they, they see that as Moraine killed him, mm-hmm. not he killed himself so um so cool yeah i think that was a great scene yeah yeah i liked it too um you know once once master hightower dies she literally just like turns away and is like okay that's gonna stop them for a minute but not for long let's keep going like there is like she does not even take a breath and it, and it goes to show you, right? Like she is a woman on a mission and she understands that whatever the, whatever the dark one wants, she will oppose no matter the cost. Right. She has the experience and, uh, you know, she, she's, she's lived, she's seen things. She's lived things. She knows how to see the 18 steps ahead of her and know you know, she can't dwell too much. She doesn't have that luxury of being able to save everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. I liked it. It's a good scene. Totally. 
All right, next, our gang makes some headway and they're able to get a little breather. Moraine heals the horses with the one power. Belana's like, girl, chill, you need to save your strength. And she's like, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll stop. And then our four Tavarin are hanging out by themselves and they're discussing Nanaeve. You know, what she would have done if she was there, what she would say. They also discuss what they've heard about the Dragon Reborn, how ridiculous it is that it could be one of them, and whether or not they should trust Moraine, especially given what they just saw her do. Moraine tells them to forget what they know and rest because they're going to need it. Still great. Still great. (laughs) It's like, you know, you get some of these scenes that are just like, a a little breather, right? We just kind of, I think this gives us a moment to reflect, recoup, reflect. Yeah, pretty, pretty easy. Um, Next, the gang is sleeping and Moraine airstrokes Egwene awake. This was so weird to me. Anyway, sorry. No, I'm just, we could talk about that in a second. Okay. The gang is is sleeping and Moraine airstrokes Egwene awake. Randa's like, what the fuck? Moraine and Egwene go off into the woods where Moraine tells Egwene about the one power, the three oaths the Aes Sedai take, and finally that she, Egwene, can channel. Surprise, you can become an Aes Sedai. Moraine pulls out a blue stone and guides Egwene to touch the source for the first time. You don't listen to the wind, Egwene. It's the wind that listens to you. Oh. I loved this scene. Yeah. And I thought I liked how it was like kind of a callback to her uh, braid ceremony, you know, floating down the river. Yes. Instead of like, I think in the books, mostly they talk about like a bud opening or something. Mm-hmm. It's like a rosebud opening to the sun. Exactly. But yeah, I like the little callback to the river for her. And uh, I liked seeing the stone. I don't understand why Moraine's not wearing it. I but- know. Just wear it, lady. She's trying to like stay incognito. She's a fallen lady, or, or we haven't gotten there yet, but you know, right? That's what she wants people to think anyway. And um, yeah, I mean, yeah, this all felt really true. Also, you know, like like I remember this from the book, or at least seeing it from Rand's perspective. Right? We see them talking with each other. I loved the, um, you know, that Moraine got this chance to like really defend and kind of like teach Egwene at the same time like defend the actions that she just saw and like basically laid it all out for us um so yeah yeah. and and i think it's this is where we this is the first time that we learn about the three oaths right it's speak no word that is not true to make no weapon with which one man may kill another never to use the one power as a weapon except against dark friends or shadow spawn or in the last extreme defense of her life the life of her warder or another Aes Sedai. So she, I love that, like, this is where we learn Moraine cannot lie. It's not just that she won't lie. It's that she can't. And she can't kill somebody with the power. So, you know, here we were judging her hardcore for, you know, leaving this man Master Hightower to his death. And she's like, no, I literally cannot do that. He threw away his life. What would you have me do? We also learn it's a little bit of a throwaway, but she asks, Moraine asks Egwene, what do you know about the three oaths? And she says, oh, those are the oaths that the Aes Sedai swore 
after the battle with Arthur Hawkwing. So just a nice little bit of history there. I don't know if we'll ever talk about it. I don't know if it'll ever get brought up in the show, but it's a nice little bit of history. Um, how did you feel about how Egwene took new took the news that she could channel? Hmm. Um, I felt like maybe. Well, it didn't seem like it was like a huge revelation, right? So maybe, I don't know, maybe like, maybe she already had an inkling that that was like what listening to the wind was to, because Nynaeve seems to, and maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. know. This is like a huge, like that, this was something that like really stood out to me. It's like just being very confusing. It was so nonchalant and like, oh, here, let's just try and touch the source. Whereas like we just heard, you think I said I are monsters. Yeah. Like they pull the strings of the world. Like they're these very larger than life, mysterious creatures. And like, she's just like, oh, cool, okay. <laughs> like, it, it almost feels like no different than she was going to be wisdom. Yeah, she was going to be Eve's apprentice, right? And that, yeah, and I think that's interesting. Um, that's really interesting because it did kind of feel like, like, you know, when she was like explaining to Rand to about how or like when they were talking about how like a wisdom can't get married blah 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 i'm like that feels more like a nice to die like i'm throwing my like you know the life i thought it had a way to be a wisdom so i don't know that's why like they're almost getting like conflated in a way yeah 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 but yeah i don't know that was like that was so much of this episode i really i I really enjoyed yeah (laughs) it's just like wait why what like we're just like glossing over this whole thing like it really did feel like more of a thing it felt it felt more impactful when she was like i'm gonna go become a wisdom yeah then like i'm gonna become one of the women that like pulls the strings of the world yeah but you know Egwene's always had a thirst for adventure so i don't know not not so far well, yeah, but we know that she does Man. in the books. Right, right. And yeah. she does. But this, you're just like, I, I don't know. Anyway, that was that was one thing. Also, what is with Moraine, like, air-stroking Egwene awake? I mean, it didn't bother me. <laughs> How else is she going to get her awake with no you one else? just touch her like a normal person. Just give her shoulder a little tap. <laughs> that was- <laughs> Nearly as fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It was like, I'm just trying to stroke six inches above your skin with the power. Like, did she use the power? What was that? I guess. I don't know. One little like whoosh sound. Oh my God. <laughs> I guess it's like a callback to like, they're always hitting themselves with the power. You know, it's like, I don't know. I guess. Mario always thinks it's like, uh, Robert Jordan's king. But he always has them like spanking each other with power. This is true. I think it was his king. 
Yeah. I was just like, I mean, you can just tap her shoulder. I'm like, okay, I guess. Oh no, she's gotta be like, she's gotta show the power. Yeah. Um, and then that way, if like Egwene does something crazy, she can be like, I didn't do it. I didn't touch her. Possible <laughs> <laughs> deniability. I love it. Um, I did love the line. You don't listen to the wind, Egwene. It is the wind that listens. Oh no, it's the wind that listens to you. Yeah. <gasps> so good. Yeah, totally. So good. There's some really good lines. There's some really good lines of the show. Um, okay. So Egwene finds out she can channel and she kind of stumbles back. And I guess she's like mildly stunned here. Um, and she cuddles up to Rand. And he's like, uh, no thanks, boo. We broke up. It's very awkward. Meanwhile, Aaron is brooding by the fire, haunted by the fact that he killed his wife. We see he has a nasty cut on his leg from the Trollocs. Egwene interrupts him and Perrin asks if she thinks they'll ever go back. She's like, mm, yeah, no. Back with Rand, he pulls a motherfucking bat out of his throat and sees a creature with burning red eyes and a burning red mouth. But then JK, it was just a scary ass dream. Except when they wake up, our heroes are surrounded by dead bats. Our four share that they dreamt about the bats and Moraine asks if anyone was in them. Did they talk to anybody? She says to tell her if it happens again because dreams are more powerful than they know. Rand is not having it. He wants answers. Why should they trust her? What is there for a man at the White Tower? Moraine is like, Moraine is like, you know, whatever. No, sorry. Moraine is like, do whatever the fuck you want and rides off. She's had it with them. Egwene follows, arguing that Moraine has done nothing but protect them. We get a little ex-lover barb here and there. And Egwene is like, boy, why? That follows, saying he agrees with Rand. He's totally right, but Moraine is only protecting them for reasons that she knows. However, she does shoot fireballs, so best to stay on her good side. Eventually, <laughs> eventually all four follow. Lan watches from the shadows because, duh, Moraine was not actually going to let them go. Yeah. Great scene. I love that line. <laughs> that so good. Um, I thought that was hilarious. Lady does shoot fireballs. But this has one of my, you know, little peeves in it, or like my little, uh, because obviously I talked on our trailers episode about how I was always like, just tell her about your dreams. And here they're telling them about, she knows right away that they're having dreams. What the fuck? I mean, that like, that, I just, uh, I yeah, I wonder why they don't, because in the books, she does, um, she talks about warding their dreams, that she can ward their dreams. So if she knows, why doesn't she do that? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I thought, you know, I was kind of like, I didn't, I thought they did a good job with, um, with Rand's dream because I did not realize it was a dream at first while it was happening. Yeah, so, they did a good job with that. Yeah. Uh, did not like. Balsamon, not how I uh, picture him. I think this is uh, another instance where it looks really cheap. Totally cheap, and I just think he's 
he's supposed to just be like a good looking dude that has like fire eyes, right? Yeah. He's not a scary monster guy. Yeah. He's just a guy that like his eyes are fire. I don't know, you guys. Um, so yeah, the dream stuff really bothered actually, me. I'll say this. So I actually didn't mind that he didn't look like I didn't mind that he didn't look like a normal dude with just fire eyes. Like it was fine. I get it. We're trying to condense a lot here. Um, although like, I think we would get that he was an evil dude based on the fire eyes, but like, whatever, that's fine. But bothered me was just like, it just looks so, like the execution looks so cheesy. Yeah. It really did. Like, why are our monsters not cool looking? Yeah, do better, guys. Come on. Come on. Like, the Trollocs are pretty lame. Yeah. The... The Murdral's good. The Murdral's good. Yeah. I like that. I like, yeah. I like the, like, multiple rows of teeth. That's fun. But, like... Come on. Yeah. Cosmon is like, he's our main baddie this season. Yep. I agree. And it it just feels very strange that like, you know, immediately everyone's like, you had the dream. You had the dream. Like that takes like, you know, they're like very like, what is going on? And I guess that we have to truncate things, but they never tell Moraine about those dreams. Don't. They, they never tell her yeah like way later yeah that was my only thing like i don't mind again i don't mind that we got to it earlier i'm just like well if she knows why isn't she warding their dreams like she knows that these are that these are real right that they're in telenroid i have no yeah. idea if that's how you pronounce that <laughs> i really don't know um yeah, so I found that confusing. Also, I was curious, why do you think they went with bats instead of rats? Yeah, I guess maybe they're just like creepier? Maybe, or it could be that they're not in um a town. They're out in the, oh. in the or like wherever they are. So like they're near some caves, so there would be more likely that there would be bats. Oh, that's when they point. have the dreams, they're like in Barillon. Right. That's what right. like all snapped yeah <sighs> that's a really good point you guys when are they getting the barrel on they already passed it yeah i know when the, but yeah but, yeah i was thinking about that though um i was thinking about that as we were watching as i was watching episode three and and i was like yeah i mean like it like i don't again i don't mind that we kind of truncated all of that because we see what we really get in the different towns like the the only thing that we're really missing is their wide-eyed innocence at being in a town for the first time or we're missing men well i mean yes well we can get to that yes i miss men um yeah i do miss men but we miss their wide-eyed innocence. And and because they're not really such innocent characters, this mistelling, I'm like, mm, okay, fine. Like, stick it all together. But yeah, Min. Yeah, I know she's in this season, so we're yeah. going to get to her eventually. But, like, you know, it just seemed like 
the steps are like plotted out so uh specifically in the book so that moraine can like be trying to figure out which one of yeah. them is the dragon reborn and yeah. part of that is going to see men in barillon that's why they go there so that men can like do the readings on them right um so we're missing that you know um later on as we get towards the end of this episode i'll talk about why i'm still missing tom Marilyn. And uh, <laughs> maybe we should jump back into. Okay. Into okay. I do. Well, actually, I think this is, I don't know if this is the right place to talk about it or not, but it, it almost feels like Moraine is not as concerned about finding out which one of them is the Dragon Reborn. And it's just kind of like, let's just get you all to Tarvalon. Tarvalon. How do they say it in the show? I can't ever remember how anyone says anything. Yeah, I I've always remember. pronounced it Tarvalon, and I know that's wrong. I think I pronounce it Tarvalon. I think it is Tarvalon. Okay. Um, it feels like she is just concerned about getting them all there, getting them all to the White Tower, and like figuring it out later. Whereas in the books, she really is trying to figure it out as she goes. So, I, she needs. She wants to find out before. Uh, you know, the dark one does. Right. And I just feel like she's not super concerned with the specifics at this point. She's like, it's one of you. So I'm just going to take all of you. <laughs> like, we'll just figure it out. Well, it's probably because she's lost so much blood and has a big trollic poison. Right. I don't know. Yes. Okay. She can't think clearly in this one. Yeah. We'll just chalk it up to that. All right. So next, our heroes meet the children of the light in the woods. At first, we think they're going to be okay, but oops, Captain Valda is there, and we know he doesn't fuck around. He feels up Moraine very creepily and touches her wound from bell time, which the battle really should have been winter night, but whatever. She tells them the truth that it was Trollocs, and she says she came from Terran Ferry, and that convinces them that she's cool. They suggest she get to an Aes Sedai that can heal her. The White Cloaks said they'll go west, but Captain Valda said, no, he's going to go south because questioners have a higher purpose. Egwene accuses Moraine of lying to the White Cloaks, and Moraine is like, nah, I said the truth. It's just a sneaky kind of truth. And we learn an important lesson that the truth in Aes Sedai tells isn't always the truth you hear. Yeah. There's a lot to pick apart in this scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think they're doing a great job about, of showing that, like the dialogue's really good for Moraine's lies. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I liked, uh, you know, we see uh, the Lord Captain Commander, Pedro Neal is in this scene. Mm-hmm. Um and we see that, you know, there's like a warmth to him, which I like because I feel like he uh, is a pretty like upstanding guy for being like a white cloak, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so we get the nice like, so we already have our, our uh, so we have him and Valda like just right next to each other from the beginning. Um, we won't spoil what happens. <laughs> you can guess. I don't know. Maybe you can't. Uh, and you know, he shakes the rings and it's like, oh, that means I got a question. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I loved, um, Lan's like understated protectiveness. Yeah. 
crush on Lan. I'm not gonna lie. Oh my uh, god, I know. <laughs> he's like very, uh, yeah. He's um, he's better than Bookland, I think. <gasps> you think? Oh, I love Bookland too. Well, I do love Bookland too, but I feel like this guy's a little like he is. Um, I feel like Bookland's quieter. This guy is like, yeah, more like still subtle, but like direct. Yeah, he's like, a little more in the mix. Yeah, I also really liked how we kind of foreshadow what's going to happen with Valda later um, with the way he's touching Moraine. So spoiler, we kind of mentioned it before, but he does rape more gays. So we see that he just really has no, he has no qualms taking advantage of a woman's body. You know what's interesting is like in the books, I imagine him being like more like typical soldier, and he's like very weaselly in this. Mm. Um, you know, like I just I imagine him like more like like Gaston. Oh, is it? Listeners, <laughs> you cannot watch Tiffany's face. You cannot see Tiffany's face, but it was it was pretty great. Um, there were pursed yeah. lips and lots of like. <laughs> like bobbing of the shoulders. <laughs> my guest on. Uh, I'm my guest on. Then, uh, but he's like very slimy and like kind of like slight and like you know, like hunched. I don't know. Yeah, I guess I don't know what I really pictured of him in in the books. I don't know how I pictured him, but I think. This is the essence of him, so it really works for me. Yeah, and I, de- but I definitely think he's reading like very like how I imagined the questioner oh, yeah. that starts with A. Yeah, isn't it a, sw- a? I think it's like a swana. A very a swana. complicated name, something like that. Yeah. But um, yeah, and then he gives that kind of like. He smiles at them and is like, the light is always with you. You don't have to do anything. It's just like, this is the man who cut off uh, Aes Sedai's hands. Yeah. And I think that's why, yeah, I think that's why I like think of cults and I think of, you know, really intense religious zealots, right? Because he does think he's in the right and I think he also has this kind of um he's weaselly but he still has this kind of joy when he talks about the light that I think mm, really sells it for me yeah Maureen is really starting to hurt from that that trollic injury yeah she needs to get a sister stat. Um, and I like, um, I really liked that patron. Neil was like, uh, you know, we don't really like I said I that much, but make sure you find one. <laughs> like, I know, that was so funny. But I think that, uh, like, what I like about his characters in the, his character in the books is that he is a stand-up guy, right? Like, and here we see that he is a stand-up guy, right? Like he's not so far 
he hasn't had so much of the Kool-Aid that he's like, you should die rather than have an eye that I touch you, you know? Um, so I like that. I really like that we have that juxtaposition between him and Valda. Yeah. Yeah. And we learn Marine is sneaky, sneaky, which is really interesting to me that they have her as our like main hook, but she's also presented over and over and over again as not being that trustworthy. Yeah. So I don't know. Do you find, I mean, I guess you said that you really like her period. Like you, you when you read her in the books, like you always trusted her. So I guess it did. <laughs> Do you still find yourself trusting her? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no I clue what they're doing. I know. I really trust her too in, in the series, but it's weird to trust her when everybody keeps being like, don't trust her. And she's like, yeah, I'm really sneaky with how I tell the truth. But she's also very transparent, at least with them in this TV show, about how she's telling the truth, right? That's true. I love how she's like very much like teaching Egwene that side of it too. Yeah, that's true. All right. Oh, you think I lied, but I didn't. Yeah. All right, let's see. I had a question I don't know just something that popped in my head when I was watching the scene and I was like gosh Lorraine's all in blue it feels like that like kind of like gives it I always feel like the Aja people are like the only ones they're just like head to toe whatever the color they are like eyes and eyes and like that would give them away but I don't know I guess I think everybody in this world just kind of dresses a little drably but I don't know I was like oh maybe that's why uh, I'll probably cut this out later, but well, it was just an interesting point. That is that is an interesting point. I mean, except for the white clothes who dress all in white, everybody else does wear a mix of colors. Oh yeah, how can they tell like a white sister away from one of their like mm-hmm. women in the camp? I don't know. Get, well, because as I say, you know, they don't let any women in there. They definitely hate all women. Well, that was something that I thought because there was a woman who was like cooking in the first uh in the in the prologue scene at like you know as like the kids like walking and mm-hmm. I was like oh it never occurred to me that there would be like women in the camps or maybe it wasn't a woman I it's definitely I would definitely mind. not I would not guess that they would have women in the camps yeah I don't know maybe I'm wrong it's my my deep-rooted uh unconscious bias that is like a woman's cooking <laughs> Uh, all right. Okay. Okay. Back to the show. Back to the show. All right. So we write a bit. We're doing a lot of writing in this episode. We write a bit. We see some epic landscapes. And Matt starts a little ditty about Eamon's blood, which he thinks is just a made up thing. This leads Maureen to tell the story of Manatharin. Sorry. I always say this wrong because I said it wrong in my head. Okay. This leads Moraine to tell the story of Manethrin, the ancient city where Edmund Field is. They were a thorn in the Dark One's side. The story is both heroic and depressing, but mostly it makes you want to be their descendants too. She tells them that the old blood runs deep. Remember that. You'll need it in the days to come. Our gang is like, whoa, our people are cool. Our group makes camp, and we have a moment of tete-a-tete. Moraine and Lan talk about how close they are to Shadar Lagoth and how the White Cloaks are 
and how the White Cloaks are hunting down the sisters sent to capture Loghain. Moraine's like, if I've ever see, Moraine's like, if I ever see that Valda dude again, watch out. Rand and Egwene hash out their new relationship. She's like, dude, just look at me. Don't hate me. And he's like, boo, I could never hate you. Meanwhile, Perrin meets some wolves. He's nursing his wound by the river and a pack of wolves show up. One walks right up to him and licks his wound. Then they all go scurrying away. Okay. Can we just start with this little song? Oh, I loved it. Oh, it is just gorgeous. Can I tell you that I've started singing it to my newborn? It's like, it's like this beautiful little like ditty and I just like found myself hot like singing it to her. <laughs> I love that. It was funny when they first started singing it. I was like, Mario, I was like, hey, they're not supposed to know what Manatharin is. And then I loved that Matt was like, I don't even know what it means. And I was like, okay, cool. (laughs) I was sort of thrown off by the song too at first, just because I was like, wait, why are we singing? Um, But I just, it's so beautiful. And then when I watched it for the second time, I was just like, oh, this is gorgeous. This is gorgeous. And such a beautiful story. And I, you know, I love that they didn't, they didn't feel the need to show us what Manethrin was like. Like we didn't go back and like recreate that battle scene. We just heard the story of that. Like they were a thorn in the dark one side and our heroes, right? Our gang is a thorn in the dark one side and will be. Um, It's just really, really beautiful. Um, and then it really just sets us up, you know, the rest of the scene just kind of sets us up for the future, right? The fact that we're near Shadar Lagoth, um, Perrin and the wolves. Yeah. Although the wolves kind of really looked like dogs. Oh my God. They so look like dogs. <laughs> I totally thought that too. I was like, wait, wait, those are wolves, right? Again, what is it with the creatures in this show? I don't know. I don't know. They had to spend too much on the sets, on the set for Shatterlock, which is awesome. Oh my god, so good, so good. Um, but yeah, that was a nice little little setup for things to come. Um, it, it's funny to me that like Perrin didn't do anything. Like he was like stunned into like. He was just, he didn't move or anything. I mean, I guess what else would you do? Yeah. The wolf just comes up and starts. Like, I don't know. It's like, you know, like, I always think, like, what am I supposed to do if a bear comes up to me? Like, every time I go to Ohio, I'm like, <laughs> like, if a bear comes up, and I don't know. So I kind of feel like it's like that, you know? Yeah. It's like, oh, I don't have my bow and arrow to shoot the wolves. Right. Like, well, that's fair. Like, if a wolf came up to me, I would probably just stand there, too. Be like, oh. Uh... Although, do you know what I'm just thinking about right at this moment? So he's injured by a trollic, but he doesn't tell anybody. He didn't tell Moraine. Yeah, I was thinking about that when I was watching it um, earlier today, too. Like when he's by the fire. And I was like, isn't that going to like, um, like do the same thing that Moraine? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, that, and it has, they keep showing it. So it's got to, yeah. It's got to, be leading up to something yeah why i wonder why he hasn't told her 
Do you think it's because like he feels like he deserves it because his wife died? He killed his wife? Maybe, or it could be that since they're telling him about the dreams, they have to hold something back. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. All right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. Um, yeah, like, why wouldn't he tell? I think I'm going to say it's because he feels too guilty and he's, he's like punishing himself. Because that's also parents' thing in the book. He's always punishing himself. Definitely. Yeah. It's definitely a parent thing to do. Yeah. Mario calls him Eeyore. He is. He is an Eeyore. He's my least favorite. Oh, I don't know. I think this guy's doing a great job with him, though, I have to say. Oh, he's doing a great job. Because yeah. I also don't like him. Look, Perrin is the most boring character. We know this. Like, it, you're, you're reading the books and you're like, oh, let me get through this Perrin stuff. Oh, so my God. Get, like, Every time you get to a Perrin chapter, you're like, oh, God. Oh, my gosh. Um, it doesn't matter that he's married. Anyway, I won't, I won't get into it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that night... The Trollocs and a Myrdral show up near the camp and Lan sends them to Shadar Lagoth for safety. How the fuck do you say this? I don't know. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Y'all know what I'm saying. Shadar Lagoth? Shadar Lagoth. Y'all, I've been saying this in my head since 1998 a certain <laughs> way, so I'm sorry. That's all I have to say. I'm sorry. Um... So out of the frying pan and into the fire, Moraine is literally passed out from her wound. So they have to carry her like a sack of potatoes. They reach the quote unquote safety of Shatter Lagoth. Like, oh God, it gets worse every time I say it. But the horses are like, no, thank you. That place is evil. Kind of good news though, because the Trollocs have also stopped chasing them. They managed to finally get the horses to take them inside. The city is a ruined mess, completely empty, not even birds or bugs. Lan takes them into an empty building and puts a barely breathing moraine on the ground to rest. We learn the history of this place. I'm not even going to attempt the name. The city's name means shadows waiting. They're the ones who betrayed Manethrin and the evil of the city consumed them from the inside. Ever since, the city's been abandoned. Land warns them not to touch anything and eat only the food they brought. So I'm going to stop us there. Um, let's just talk about the city. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it looks great. They did a fantastic job. It's like everything that I pictured and hoped for and more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I really love it. And super interesting that, like, you know, this is another example of, like, kind of, you know, Moraine is now incapacitated, which is not the case in the book. So the other characters are kind of having to take the lead and seeing Lan, like, make this executive decision, you know, which in the book, he's, like, very, you know, convinces Moraine, like, we have to do this, you know. Um, and, uh, but to see him, like, kind of, like, take the reins, make the executive decision, do all the warning, tell everybody the history of it, I think is, um, uh, like, a cool, you know, character development for Lan here. Yeah, and I really like, um, Matt, <laughs> Matt has that one line where he's like, first of all, that is the most you've said all day, maybe ever. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So good. I love that. Also, I have to say, 
I kind of started to fall in love with Matt in this episode. I was like, okay, okay, all right. You're a little good nice in this episode for sure. I was like, you're a little sadder than the Matt from the books, but like, I can get on board with you. I like you. Um, I think some of that charm started to come out a little bit more in this episode. Yeah, definitely. Um, And I, you know, I read something. um, I read something online that was about how, you know, the books really start out as kind of like a one man show. It's all about Rand, but we end up with this really um, ensemble cast, right? Like all the characters are incredibly important. And so the showrunner really wanted to establish that ensemble feeling earlier on. Yeah. And so I think this is a perfect example of how they do it and why we take Moraine out, right? Like, because she has been our anchor up to this point and it's like, no, no, we we're giving other people time to shine. We're going to take her out. Um, so I think, you know, I think that was an interesting choice, even though it's different, different from the books. And I do like to see Lan making that executive decision that that was very cool. I miss Tom here though. Do you? Why? Why do you in particular? Well, I think because this is where he kind of, he ends up going off with the boys, right? Yeah. I'm like reading the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And also, I just kind of feel like he hasn't been on the journey. And maybe it doesn't matter as much because of Moraine's injury in the TV series. But um, I feel like she's not getting to know him at all. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It just feels like, I don't know. I just, I guess I, I miss him being like a part of the story. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's a good character. It's easy, it's easy to miss him. Yeah. He's fun. Yeah. All right. So we're still in the city and Rand and Egwene are still trying to figure out their new relationship. Smooching is a no, but holding hands is okay, I guess. They look out over the city and feel big sads together. Matt gives Perrin the knife Perrin's wife made. Matt's thinking they're having this really nice moment, but it just makes Perrin feel worse. Matt worries about his sisters. He needs to get back to them. In the middle of the night, Matt goes outside like a light-blinded fool and sees a shadow. He follows it like a wool-headed sheep herder and finds the ruby-hilted dagger. We see the shadow consume one of the horses. It turns to dust. Maureen wakes up, and when she realizes where they are, she tells Lan he's killed them all. The shadow attacks our heroes and cuts them off from each other. In the chaos to escape, they're separated into three groups. Egwene and Perrin, Moraine and Land, and Matt and Rand. Egwene and Perrin have to jump off the city's wall and into a river. Matt and Rand kick through a door and also escape on the river. Moraine and Land get away by land. As Land gives Moraine... So they get away by land. They kind of run off together. And as Lan gives Moraine water, we see a wicked blade press against his neck. It's Nynaeve. She says, if you don't take me to them right now, I'll slit your throat. Cut to black. Yeah. Yes. Nynaeve is back. Okay. So I made that 
really short. There, that that whole escape scene, but it is pretty epic. Yeah, yeah, so much happening. First of all, like, okay, um, I had to laugh when um, Matt gave Perrin the dagger because I'm like, oh, I guess he needs a new dagger. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, you know, I was kind of like, um. I guess I, I guess it fits with the TV series that they don't all go like off exploring together and have mm-hmm. like the whole thing where they find like the treasure room and Mordeth and um, I do all miss that. Mordeth, huh? I did miss Mordeth. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the shadow that right, was there, right? But like, we don't know that, right? And theoretically, he comes um, becomes important of like who that is, but you know. Um, but you know, I guess, you know, happy go lucky boys go off, uh, adventuring in a city and, and sad boys who kill their wives. <laughs> sad boys who killed their wives stay put. Yeah. They don't, I mean, they don't go adventuring. You're not up for an adventure when you killed your wife. Exactly. Um, yeah. so it's, well, it's okay. And I guess, you know, like, they needed to get there quickly and he got the dagger or whatever and it had a ruby in the hilt so there you go yeah um yeah i thought the shadow stuff looked really good um uh the separation worked well for me uh i thought it was very convenient that there was a river running around <laughs> that we could jump off into and not die um like it was um, deep enough that they wouldn't die falling that high. I know. I was like, oh, is that a moat? But I guess, you know, whatever. Moat, river, all the same. It's deep fine. water. Listen, if we can buy into Trollocs, we can buy into the fact that you were able to not die jumping that far. Yeah. And I guess it's interesting that we like get to kind of absolve Moraine of the decision of taking them into Shadowlaga mm-hmm. by the fact that she was out of it so she didn't be like oh i told you so yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. just whatever um and then of course so awesome the ending with my so good i'm just like thank you for giving us the naive we deserve in this series like i love her so much she has so many great lines yeah she's fantastic too and she's just like um not one-dimensional at all um doesn't seem to ever be angry for no reason like has so much like i don't know she's wonderful and um you know we'll we'll obviously really talk about this during the next episode but this is one of the reasons why i liked moraine being kind of incapacitated is that we are gonna get to see nynaeve and lan together yeah which was all in the book when they revealed it they're like in spoiler in love right it's kind of what kind of out of the blue yeah we didn't see that at all like when did they even talk like right yeah Um, so i i feel like the showrunners were probably trying to solve that problem this way Mm -hmm. and uh, i think it works really well yeah no i agree with that i didn't really think about that I didn't really think about seeing their relationship as a product of Marine being kind of incapacitated, but you're totally right. Like that's kind of the only way that it can happen. Um, 
But I want to go back to the dagger. Okay. Okay. Um, I just loved that moment when he went and got it so much. I just, I like, even though it's really different, just the, like the sound that they chose for when he like pulls the dagger out and the way the ruby glinted in the light and it just, you know, everything around it was this decayed pile of rubble and he was able to pull it out and it's this gleaming thing. Like it all just like really worked for me. I think I like clapped (laughs) when I, when that moment happened, I was just like, so excited. Um, And it also felt like the shadows being able to like kill the horses. It felt like, I don't want to say this. So it also felt like him grabbing the dagger is really what set off this whole chain of events, right? Because it wasn't until he did that, that the shadow really came out and like consumed the horses and really started attacking them. And Lan did say, don't touch anything. And he did. He took this dagger. That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't really see that until the the second watching. And then I was like, oh, I think that's what happened. Yeah. You know, he said it, he set it off by taking the dagger. Um, But yeah, it was a, oh, I loved that moment so much. I know Mario was like, they better have a ruby in that dagger. Oh yeah. Like if they changed that, it's one of those things. You just can't change. Um, yeah, and I really liked um, the, you know, the the flight from Shatter Logoff. Logo. Oh, God, y'all. No, that was good. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Shadar Logoff. Okay, that's how I've said it. Um, but I really loved the flight from there. Um, again, we saw another little moment for you know of, of Matt's charm and kind of like why we love him when he and Rand were trying to get out and Rand's like boost me up and he's like why don't you boost me up <laughs> Rand's like just come on you know and like that that's the Matt I know and love um yeah so I was really glad I got to see that but um yeah I thought the flight worked worked really well and and then we just get Nynaeve, oh, and all her glory, like. That was such a good moment. So good. And, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about how in the books, you know, you and I kind of said, like, okay, like, if we could be anybody in the books, who would we be? And we both said Egwene. <laughs> and now watching the TV show, I'm like, okay, who would I be in the TV show? I would be Nynaeve. Yeah. She's just yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I know. She's the best. Okay. She really is. And I did not, you know, she's one of those characters that in the book, you're like, I like you, but come on. Yeah. Like, you're always mad. Somebody asked me how I was uh, feeling about, like, you know, all the changes. And I was like, um, I'm not sure how I feel about Perrin being married. Yeah. But. I am so happy we are getting the naive we deserve. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. She's fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any other like general thoughts about the episode? 
No, just I feel like it's it was a great second episode, you know. I, I love uh, so far. I love like the story beats that they took us through. Yeah, you know, it's clearly truncated, but I think like we got all the way through Shadow Laga. <laughs> and, uh, I cannot wait until we don't have to talk about this goddamn place anymore. I know, and then eventually we'll have to talk about it again, but not for a while. <laughs> and. Uh, uh, yeah, so I think like it really, you know, uh, like I said last time, the first episode made me a little wary, mm-hmm. but like this episode, I was definitely feeling really good after it. Yeah, I was feeling on board too. One other thing, um, I really like their music choices. Yeah, I don't know, I don't remember if it was that way in the first episode. But in this episode, I was like, oh, I really like, I just, I really, really like the music choices that they've made. Mm-hmm. Was it that way in the first episode? Um, I didn't notice. Yeah, it didn't really, like, stand out to me as much, I guess. But, um, but yeah, I think overall, like, you know, the, the sound, the music's good. Sound, sound good. Sound good. Sound is good. <laughs> Yeah, I just... Uh, what would you rate this one? Ooh. I think we're like a solid, a solid like eight and a half, nine territory right. here. Yeah. Big fan. Okay. Yeah, I would definitely uh, solid eight for sure. Yeah. Yeah, nine feels like a little pushing it, but... We gotta leave room to grow. I always tend to like rate things like very high, <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I gotta leave room to grow. <laughs> yeah, I I think it's really great, and I, I cannot wait to talk about episode three because I think it gets even better. Yeah, yay! I know, I'm so excited. Um, all right, well, awesome. Another fun time chatting with you, and uh, I'm looking forward to. Uh, episode four coming up on friday still having our conversation about episode three and uh until then may you find water and shade